Hello everyone and welcome back to another InBay podcast. Uh, for those of you who haven't listened before, my name is Luke Betteridge. I am the sales team manager at InBay and I'll be hosting today's session. I've also got with me our series regulars and that is Daniel Welling and Simon Butler. And we've also got a very special guest as well, our recruitment manager from InBay and that is Colin Dolligan. So thank you everyone for joining us today. So we're going to do something a little bit different to our previous episodes. We're actually going to be looking at recruitment and some of the recruitment challenges that the IT industry has faced in the last couple of years. Um, I think it's safe to say that it's been a big talking point probably since the pandemic going back to 2020, which is still quite scary to think that that was um, over three years ago now that that happened. But since then, uh, recruitment has been a huge challenge in the industry. So today we're going to have a bit of a discussion around kind of what the challenges are, how um, some MSPs can work to overcome those, and also to look at it from a kind of employee angle if you're looking to be recruited into the IT space. So before we get started, Colin, can I hand over to you just to do a little bit of an introduction about yourself and a little bit about your history in recruitment? That's great. Thanks a lot, Luke. Um, I've been with InBay now for eight months. It feels a lot longer than that, so it's uh, never a dull moment with InBay. Um, prior to InBay, I've got almost, well, nearly 25 years, I'm showing my age, across tech recruitment, and that's within RPO, recruitment process outsourcing, and agency. All my experience has been within IT, be that development, delivery, uh, business change. So I've seen it really from all angles, and I've certainly seen the changes that Luca mentioned over the last few years. It's uh, completely different industry to what it was even six months ago it's uh, it never stands still let's put it that way but uh, one thing I'd like to point out recruitment is a very subjective um, subject it is something that it's not an exact science and there are no right and wrongs there's more science coming into recruitment processes now but again there's a human element on both sides of the fence. So, uh, yeah, it's always fun. My opinions are my own. And uh, whether you agree or disagree, do let me know. Thanks, Colin. Appreciate it. So what we're probably going to do to get started is I know um, initially before we started recording this, uh, Simon, we were talking about the fact that you've been a bit of a, a one-man band for many years. So there's a few sort of questions around the approaches for someone who's looking to either be recruited into the IT space or who's in the IT space already and is looking to move to a new company. So again, do you have any sort of initial questions just to um, test Colin's knowledge and um, get us started on this? Okay, well, the Probably the first thing as, as a potential candidate is, where should we be looking these days? What is the, the best place to be looking? Because obviously, you know, you can look on directly on the on, on companies' websites, but if you don't know the company exists, you know, where where are you looking for candidates now? What, you know, are you going to Indeed or what are you using these days? Well, again, um, it's a good question because there is a plethora of places to look now. It used to be you'd go straight to your tried and trusted job boards, your job serves, your job sites, for example, and everything would be on there. Everything would be updated on a weekly basis. Um, about 12 months ago, I was looking for a role myself. And with 20 years recruitment, I thought this would be a doddle. I know where to go. Within three days, I'd identified about 100 different sites I could be looking at. So it really is very, very tough. Um, Social networking, LinkedIn being the obvious one, very, very important. Um, so it's worth getting your profile out there. It's worth getting a little green badge looking for work. Um, on a LinkedIn profile, 
put down looking for work, put down what you do. It's no use saying I'm looking for work and then people have to click through to find out what you actually do. So make your LinkedIn profile as clear as you can and connect with as many industry people as you can. Um, the LinkedIn job board, although very effective, you often see 500 plus applicants for a single role. Um, now, statistically, and I've had this myself, over 300 applicants for one role, I may only have five candidates I want to speak to. So don't be afraid and look at that number and think there's no point in me applying to that. So do pop your CV over. Um, the, the, the traditional job boards are still all there. Job serve in the IT world has always been the most effective in my experience from an agency side, uh, certainly when looking for contracts. Job sites, Indeed, CW Jobs, Monster, <laughs> the list could just go on and on. So you've got to spread your net as wide as you possibly can and also leverage against your social network if possible. Lovely. Um, back when I was doing job hunting, which was many years ago, I went through every iteration of CV you could come up with. The multi-page, including everything. The single page, including only the most recent stuff. A mixture of the two, different fonts, different structure, different formats. It, it, you know, every time you go and read something, someone will say, "Oh no, you should do this." Do you include references? Do you not include references? Do you include your age? Do you not include your age or day of birth, and all this sort of stuff? So, when it comes to the CV, what are you expecting to see on the CV? Let's start with that. On a CV, again, it's a very subjective subject, as as we know, Simon. Um, but a CV for me has to be clear, concise, well formatted. Um, I would generally like to see a start of a CV, personal details, date of birth is something I certainly wouldn't expect to see on a CV nowadays, uh, a little personal statement. And then, certainly from an IT world, I like to see a table of skills. So it could be, I've worked with Azure Cloud two or three years. I've done security in this two or three years. As a recruiter myself at heart, I want the information there. I could be looking at, you know, upwards of two or 300 CVs a day on occasion, depending on the volume of, of, of work. So you don't want to be trawling through 14 or 15 pages. And believe me, I have seen 14 or 15 page CVs looking for the salient information. Um, if you've got more than three or four years experience, I don't want to know if you're a school prefect when you're doing your GCSEs. That's completely irrelevant to me. I don't really want to know if, uh, I don't know, you captained the school tiddlywinks team. It's it's not relevant. So a couple of lines on interests, just bullet points, a table of skills up top, and depending on your experience level, only the last five years experience I see as being that relevant because the IT world, the technology moves so quickly, anything more than five years old is more than likely going to be considered legacy to some extent. So the other thing I'd suggest is if you're a senior support guy, but you've got project management skills as well, and you could do either role, don't try and shoehorn it all onto one CV. Don't be afraid to have two or three different versions of your CV available and then, or even tailor your CV for the role you're applying for. Nowadays, employers want to see what they want, if that makes any sense. So it's not worth sending a, a senior systems administration role over for a project management role because they're not going to look twice at you. So it's tailoring it. It's making sure the information is clear. 
in terms of number of pages, two to three, I'd say certainly three tops. I don't think a CV should go on beyond three pages. Um, shoehorning 20 years of experience onto one page, that's going to be an on impossible as well. So you be the judge. You look at it. If it makes sense to you, then then run with it. But I would say two to three pages would be the, the most I'd be looking for or expecting. Okay. And what about non-work things now i'm not saying you know including hobbies but i'm sort of thinking you know if you're say heavy in forums on your subject matter or you know you, you do a lot with open source and things like this you've got your own github profile and things like this are you looking to include those kind of you know looking to include those sort of things and how would you do it would you do it at the top at the end you know how, how would you include them if you like in, in the little personal profile that that i mentioned sort of right under your name and details where you live whatever it may be just link just link your github your open source whatever it may be and and let the recruiter go and take a look themselves i mean most agency recruiters aren't that technical but they will take a look but a client if it goes to a client and the hiring manager will almost certainly take a look um on that note as well, here's one of these anecdotes I was talking about. Make sure your social media is clean and clear. Um, I have lost candidates because clients have gone through and looked at their Facebook, for example. Everyone's got their opinions, but some certainly wouldn't fit in with certain clients. So it's ensuring you go through your social media and you're happy with what people can see. I guess that's something about the new world at the moment, isn't it, with social media? It's not something that have been really considered before that you've got an online profile that potential employers are going to have a have a look through and, and, and see what your kind of public persona is. So um, I can imagine that a lot of people have lost job opportunities because their social media, let's just say, is, is not quite the cleanest. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, as I say, I've got experience of that where uh, somebody had locked down their profile but left their early teenage years up there and uh, every other word began or ended <laughs> in an expletive. So uh, it took some coercion to, to explain this to the client, look, they've matured now. So it's just important you look at it. People can see everything nowadays, be it Twitter, be it LinkedIn, be it Facebook. And it's being aware that some clients, some recruiters will go and look at your history and profile. Yeah, no, it makes, makes sense. Um, just whilst we're talking about CVs, the other thing that's always come to mind for me that I've um, always been more curious on is cover letters, because obviously a lot of the time you'll get the whole upload your CV and a cover letter, but there's never normally any more expansion on what is to be included in the cover letter apart from include one. So again, from your experience, Colin, what, what would you suggest is the best way to approach a cover letter? I generally am not a fan this comes back down to um, my own personal opinion is I will very rarely look at a cover letter. I'll jump straight in to look for the skills and backgrounds. Um, now, if you are to do a cover letter, short, brief, relevant to the role. Um, but again, it's not something if you're going via an agency, they more than likely won't pay much attention to the cover letter and it almost certainly won't get sent to the employer. As an employer myself, I tend to go straight in on the skills. Um, so I'm not a fan of cover letters, but that's not to say they don't hold value. Okay, yeah. So again, it could be down to the actual the business themselves as they request a cover letter. Because again, I think for, you know, going back to when I was looking for, for roles, some would say just, you know, include your CV and then there'll be others that will say, please include a cover letter. So I guess that's down to personal preference of that company 
yeah, that that's the way I'd uh, I'd look at cover letters. Um, and just kind of, I know we're going to sidestep a little bit here to look at kind of the recruitment aspect from from the employers. I know you mentioned earlier about looking at potentially two to three hundred CVs in a day as a recruiter yourself. Obviously, there'll be a lot of um, companies out there that will kind of take on the recruitment burden themselves without maybe having an internal recruiter or without using an agency. Again, how would you advise someone approach that if you were to have suddenly hundreds of CVs coming in? What is your method to be able to filter through those kind of as quickly and efficiently as possible? Well, once you uh, once you go down that road, first of all, if you do get two or three hundred CVs directly, you're you're doing very very well. Um, it's it really is very very time consuming. Um, I can I've been doing this 20, 25 years. I can very quickly nip through a CV in under a minute probably depending on the role depending on the individual but if you're not used to doing that it's going to be extraordinarily time consuming so you've really got to be prepared for the burden that the the tidal wave that may come your way um, and you've got to be pretty ruthless you've got to know what you're looking for and um, you've got to as often as not on a cv you've got to look for what's not on the cv as opposed to what is on the cv and then set up initial calls so for Inbay, I'm generally having anywhere between five to ten calls a day with candidates. Um, so you've got to know what you're looking for. You've got to stay to the point. It's very easy to spend half an hour on a phone call with somebody. But if you've got a volume, if you've got 30 calls to line up, you've really got to know what you're looking for and be to the point and just be ruthless. I know it sounds horrible, but, but recruitment can be quite a ruthless industry. So it's uh, it's worth bearing that in mind. But I'd always recommend getting a good recruiter to uh, <laughs> to take that burden away from you. But I am biased, of course. So, <laughs> oh, of course, of course. But um, so I guess actually, when you I've spoken to some people before, the challenges in the industry at the moment seem to be the opposite. It's not having an abundance of CVs coming through, but actually putting out some specific job roles and having either a lack of CVs come through or the not the right type of people coming through and really struggling to find that right candidate. So again, what's kind of your advice um, to companies when they're actually doing the initial advertising or looking for these these types of people? Well, I mean, that's that's something, again, and I'd call on my own recent experience, it is still a very candidate-driven market for, for one reason or another. Right across the IT sector, there are skill shortages. So the, the first thing I'd say to employers is be flexible. Um, every job spec generally will have 10 to 15 skills listed. Be realistic. You're not going to get somebody with all of those 10 to 15 skills. So I always try and encourage employers to whittle that down <laughs> to a key four or five skills that you must have and then what orbits around those. So you've got to have that flexibility on the individual. You've got to make the process as pain-free for the candidate. And I know this sounds ridiculous because historically businesses have their, they can pick and choose, but nowadays when I was looking, you will spend 10 minutes uploading your CV to an ATS, putting in your personal details, and then all of a sudden it says, list all your experience. And I'm thinking, you've got my CV. Why do you need all my experience to be typed into your little ATS? So I didn't apply for those roles. I, I just, it wasn't worth my time. I'd have spent all day filling up double, double entry sort of data. So make it as easy as possible. One interview if you can, two interviews max. Um, and it's a personality thing as much as anything else. It's don't be judge and jury. Try and get under the skin because the candidate will want to see the human side of the business, not just 
this is what we do. What can you offer the candidate? They're going to be working for you every day. Can you work hybrid? Can they have some flexi time? What perks do you offer? Um, what differentiates you from your competitor five doors down the road? So you've got to put that mindset on that no longer is a candidate selling themselves to you. It's very much a two-way street. You've got to sell yourself to the candidate as well. Can I also just add into there, from a candidate's point of view, I'd like the employers to be honest. So um, if you're writing the job spec, for crying out loud, get someone who's technical to look at it. You know, <laughs> asking for 15 years of Office 365 experience when the product's only been realistically available for 10 is not, it's just, it's just silly. Um, asking for, you know, loads of other stuff and, you know, thinking you're going to get, you know, a networking genius and you're going to pay first line help desk is another bugbear of the IT world. You know, I know... Sorry, my favourite one, Simon, is is a recent IT graduate with five years commercial experience. I had that on a job spec once. <laughs> what is going on? You just can't. Yeah, they need they need to be. Yeah, it needs someone to look at it with a with a sensible hat on. Almost, you know, are, are, is what you're asking for realistic um, at the at the salary level you are asking for? You know, if you want someone who's got five years experience with Azure, that's fine. But you're not going to get them for first or second line help desk support because somebody else is going to pay significantly more than that so i think yeah employers need to be very um clear about what their requirements are i totally agree simon on a lot of that um, one of the main things and it's very difficult companies are very closed around salaries certainly if they're recruiting directly so if possible always get your salary out there i know that can be difficult if it's a direct advert but if you're going via an agency, don't restrict the agency and say, don't put salaries up there because there's nothing worse than competitive plus benefits or whatever it may be. And you call up and it's 30% below market rate. So um, that's something that I definitely recommend. Uh, going back to CVs, by the way, you touched on another thing there, Simon, references. I would always say references available on request. Never, ever put reference details on a CV because Certainly, if they're senior IT professionals and this is on a public job board, they will start getting inundated by agencies looking for a new contact. So keep that to yourself until you're at least at interview stage. So, um, Daniel, I noticed you've been very quiet during this one. So um, I just wanted to sort of throw it over to you to see if there's anything that you had or any kind of challenges you faced in the past when you've looked at recruitment or looking at getting the right types of people in for businesses. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, broadly there's been nothing said that I uh, that I uh, uh, ferociously dis disagree with, and in fact uh, a lot that a lot that uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, just to pick up on the topic of social proof and references, uh, I, I think today uh, we're we're very lucky to have LinkedIn, so we can uh, we can very easily uh, sidestep the official referencing channel um, if we know someone that that uh, we know works with uh, a candidate or, or indeed at a company. Um, so, you know, both the employer and the, and the candidate can uh, uh, off the record reference each other um, uh, by virtue of knowing who, who knows who. Um, and uh, if, not, if not in just the social domain, uh, 
online. Um, we also have a thriving community around the MSP space, which it, it really is worth investing the time in, both as a an employer and an employee to uh, to attend. Uh, you get to to develop relationships better than you do just by being a LinkedIn connection, um, and uh, and those relationships really pay dividends in the in the long term in both identifying and uh, and also then be, being confident about uh, entering a new uh, uh, a new arrangement. So um, uh, so yeah, it's a it's a different it's a different world out there to to the one it was ten or fifteen years ago, um, uh, but uh, equally a lot of the the, uh, uh, the 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 core elements are the same. Um, uh, uh, c candidates want to work for good good companies and have good good progression options and be well supported, and uh, uh, and employers still want um, am ambitious, enthusiastic uh, ca candidates to help them grow the business. And uh, and and yeah, that's uh, that's still the name of the game. <laughs> So, um, Colin, from your experience in the last couple of years, what is it you're seeing that MSPs are really struggling with or are the kind of the, the real challenges that are out there at the moment? The challenges, um, again, they're, they're more industry-wide rather than what I'd say purely MSP. There is a big skills gap um, right across the IT marketplace. It's moved so quickly now. An MSP may say, I want Azure, I want these Azure certs, I want everything else. And the workforce is struggling to keep up because it's quite a big investment to, to, to get, for example, Microsoft or whatever technology it may be. So I think it's it's realism from the employers, the MSPs, the whoever, hire for aptitude as much as the ready-made skills. So if you've got somebody there who's got six months Azure instead of maybe two years, What's the depth of that? Can they pick it up? How did they learn? You've got to think imaginatively rather than looking for that ready-made perfect option every time. So again, I, I touched on it earlier on, is, is flexibility, open mind, and uh, just stick with it. That right person is there, but you've got to maybe open your mind perhaps more so than you would have done two or three years ago. Um, a lot of that, the big the big one at the moment is offering some form of, if not full-time work from home, certainly hybrid working. That really does open your pool massively. So if that's a possibility for you, I'd certainly offer it. And I guess that is one of the big changes that we've seen the last couple of years is the ability to work from home and have that hybrid working model. I think, again, even if you go back to probably 2019, I'd say 90, 95% of companies had everyone in the office kind of five days a week and it was just a norm. Even though probably from a technology point of view, we had the ability to work from home then. It's been since everything that happened in 2020 that companies have kind of been open to allowing that to happen. So, Yeah, definitely. So again, this is more just out of interest. So um, for everyone listening, Colin specialises um, internally in InBay to recruit for our dedicated tech. So our dedicated techs are essentially remote-based engineers that are based in Sri Lanka and South Africa. So this is more for a bit of fun. I just wanted to know about some of the challenges you've kind of experienced recruiting outside of the UK. So, you know, with our focus, I know we focus in Sri Lanka and South Africa, but that kind of international recruitment, how have you found that and kind of what has been kind of you know, the sort of fun you've had with it, but also some of the challenges you may have experienced doing that? It's, uh, it's been a real eye-opener, actually. So uh, I think in the UK, I can only really speak for the UK market, we've got this perception of perhaps overseas workforces maybe 
not being as skilled, perhaps not being as engaging, perhaps the comms aren't quite right. Um, I've been astonished, certainly more so in Sri Lanka, because I've, I've spent more time recruiting out there. The level of these guys is is something else. Um, they are constantly studying. They have got Microsoft certifications that that really in the UK, people don't tend to do unless the employer pays for them. So the enthusiasm, they're very keen to, to work in foreign markets. Um, the skill levels are all very, very good. The, the main challenge from a, an InBay perspective and our clients and dedicated tech as a whole is making sure that these guys can communicate effectively because uh, a lot of them, they're not using English as their first language every day. So it's helping them, guiding them, giving them resources. So they might not be an InBay employee today, but if they work on their English skills, they could be tomorrow or the day after, be that in, in one of our markets. Um, same for South Africa. The skill levels are very, very high. These guys are always trying to better themselves. So in that respect, it's been an eye-opener. The other eye-opener for me is that their job market is facing very, very similar challenges to the UK. So it's not a case of clicking my fingers, here's 20 brilliant engineers that we can put on site tomorrow. It really is a case that in Bay, we have to offer the benefits that our competitors don't. We have to offer flexibility. We have to offer training, progression. It's it's very similar. The market, although thousands of miles away, is, is very, very similar and parallels the UK to a large extent. So uh, it's not a case of clicking your fingers. We have to be extraordinarily selective in who we take on at InBay as well. Yeah, so I can say it's more of a sort of worldwide issue at the moment with the recruitment. It's not something that's just very specific to the UK or even the Western market. But um, I was going to say some of our colleagues in Sri Lanka probably speak much better English than I do. So I know when it comes to communication, <laughs> some of them are absolutely excellent. So. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't actually know you had um, South African bases as well now. Yeah, we've recently formalised that. So we've got an entity out in South Africa and I think at the last count, four engineers. So uh, it's going well and it does split the time zones up a little bit for us as well. So, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's truly a global business. Well, thanks a lot for that, Colin. Really appreciate your insight into kind of everything around recruitment. I know uh, we spoke before and it might be worth actually us coming back again for next month's podcast and maybe focus on the retention side of it. I know we kind of maybe glossed over it a little bit today about being a company that sells yourself to the candidates. But, you know, maybe we could have another session where we focus a bit more on what companies can be doing, not only to, you know, attract these people to them, but actually keep their staff um, and kind of build that workforce that way. So uh, again, that might be a really good idea to bring bring Colin back and have a bit of a chat about retention. But again, thank you very much for joining us today. Really appreciate everyone's time. And to everyone listening at home, if you've got any sort of questions or if you want to chat with us about anything recruitment related, then please feel free to get in touch. And we look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you. Thank you.